electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm John Fort. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Happy Friday and welcome to Tech Check. I'm John Fort with Carl Quintanilla and Julia Borston. Today... Tech stocks rally despite the street's warnings on earnings and the risks ahead is what we'll look at for names like Amazon, Facebook, and Alphabet. And then Bitcoin at 60K, the possibility of a Bitcoin ETF and Coinbase surging, how to play the crypto comeback. And later, a tech check exclusive with the CEO of Roblox, who's best positioned to own the metaverse. Carl? John, we're coming up on earnings uh, starting next week. We're going to get some big ones and some skepticism from the street on technology. RBC warns of a controversial Q4, a bullish on uh, names like Alphabet and Amazon, unsure on stocks like Snap and Pinterest. Webbush enters the fray today, predicting some deceleration in ad spend. Citi also today blames some of that on inflation. In the meantime, maybe the strongest call comes out of Evercore. They add Facebook to tactical underperform. That's after a 13% drop in the last month. So is another season of big tech beats ahead, or will there be some serious headwinds? Uh, Interesting uh, mix of uh, dynamics at work in the Evercore call on Facebook, Julia. They talk about... uh, advertising weakness potentially if some of these big advertisers have to deal with inflation in their core business. And then they say the risk on the Apple engagement issue is being underappreciated by the street. Yes, I mean, I think, Carl, it's worth noting that Facebook has been talking about the Apple risk for some time, but this is the first quarter when we're going to see the full impact of the Apple risk. And there are many pieces of this. It is one, whether advertisers are not able to accurately measure the impact of their ads, it's whether the ads don't work as well, and whether advertisers just say, hey, maybe this is an opportunity for us to move to other platforms where we could have a better sense of what our impact is, John. Yeah, I think, and here's something I'm wondering. I don't have data on this specifically, but I think the inventory and supply chain issues could actually play to Facebook's benefit in a way that uh, analysts might not be expecting. And that being, you don't know what's going to be in stock right now. And sometimes there are going to be things delivered, things available in, in a surprising way because, you know, the ports open up for a period of time or they're able to airlift stuff in. They're going to need to move that stuff. They're going to use social media to target the audience to get those goods moved and probably pay a premium for it. But, uh, you know, I also think, Carl, this is possibly a weird Q4 in which the numbers don't matter as much because it's an anomaly because some of these issues that we've been talking about, like maybe Amazon doesn't sell as much. Maybe Apple doesn't move as many units, uh, but moves them more profitably. But that's not necessarily an indicator of their underlying business health. It's an indicator of some anomalous conditions. And so should investors pay attention to that? Well, a little bit, but maybe they should pay more attention to what's indicative of how the business is going to perform through 22 and beyond. 
Yeah, I think uh, Goldman, uh, their note today on semis talks about, I think they put it in the phrase idiosyncratic uh, tailwinds or headwinds. And maybe you're right. Maybe social media will be like a sign for them to say, look, we got this particular good in stock. You can go now. Uh, but we're going to see whether or not uh, that and expenses too, Julia, weigh on Facebook's quarter. Expenses weigh on Facebook, and of course, so does all of that regulatory overhang. Uh, There's so many different factors at play for Facebook in particular. So let's continue this discussion. Brad Erickson, he wrote that note about investor concerns for RBC, and he joins us now. Brad, let's talk about Facebook. What is your biggest concern about Facebook right now? I think uh, John just a minute ago laid out those near-term concerns pretty well. Obviously, the the fear being there's not going to be enough product. Uh, and so if there's not enough product, people can't advertise as much. Um, and then I think also the the signal loss, as you mentioned, you know, we've done work on the signal loss, talking to advertisers. If you're a big advertiser, chances are you haven't changed spend. I think what we're maybe a little bit concerned about in the near term is the SMB, the small and medium-sized businesses. Those tend to be a little bit more budget-sensitive. That's the near-term concern. The long-term yeah. concern. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, no, please. Please tell us about the long-term concerns here, because it seems like or, they'd be yeah, very I different, think, especially when you bring in the regulatory piece. Exactly, exactly. And to that point of maybe numbers don't matter because all of that is so well understood. As we look at 2022, I think people are concerned about impression growth, right? The, 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 the engagement that people have on Facebook and Instagram to the whistleblower controversy going on currently I think it's come out that, that Facebook looks to drive engagement with different types of content. If Facebook, if there becomes a fear that Facebook is going to be reined in on the types of content that drive that engagement, it plays into a, an impression growth, an impre- a slowing impression growth thesis that already exists uh, in the market. Yeah, Brad, that's interesting. One of the numbers I always look at first at when Facebook reports earnings is domestic user growth, both monthly and daily active domestic user growth, and whether that number is flat or shrinking. Uh, and, and that's a key factor there. Are you concerned that Facebook is losing the younger demographic? And where do you think they're going? Yeah, so I think this has been a concern that's been out there for for several years. I think Facebook, uh, even three, four years ago, uh, there were reports that that Facebook in particular, the the blue brand was losing the younger demographic. I think from an Instagram standpoint, I think think that platform is definitely hanging on uh, to a lot of those users. Certainly the emergence of TikTok is kind of the, the new shiny toy in the space. There are a lot of of younger users that, of course, are adopting that platform globally. Um, but I don't think the the, the MAU, the, the monthly active user loss, is, is all that uh, new or concerning for, for most investors here. Brad, I mean, uh, Facebook's down 60 bucks from the highs. I guess, I, I mean, I wonder how bad the number would have to be uh, to weigh on it further, I mean, as opposed to the stock coming in hot. Yeah, I mean, I think if you you can certainly set it up as, as if numbers are okay, it's probably better than feared. Uh, you know, the stock probably bounces a little bit. The 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 real over under here for the quarter in terms of metric is they tend to guide operating expenses for the out year, so they'll guide operate twenty two operating expenses, uh, and and it's it's believed that the sell side is kind of modeling that below the buy side. The buy side's probably in the call it ninety three to ninety five billion dollar range. And the sell side is more like 87. And so I think there's a there's a there's a debate there of whether they will come in uh, below or above that. And, and obviously, if it's too high, that's going to hit the stock. 
Brad, uh, check my thesis here, because I think Facebook has some potential strategic strength that isn't getting talked about a lot, and that's that Messenger and Shops are potentially the new like button in that they're trying mm-hmm. to build technology that embeds them in the digital sales process to agree where it not only starts to solve attribution for them, but makes them uh, part of this kind of Amazon alternative digital economy that's driven by the likes of Shopify and big commerce, where more mm-hmm. uh, third-party type retailers have a direct engagement with Facebook and are benefiting from that data and that engagement as just part of how they do business. Doesn't, have, doesn't mm-hmm. Facebook have potential upside if that continues to play out? Yeah, I think the way you just laid that out, absolutely. I think at this point, it's, I would argue it's still probably more conceptual than not, right? Um, it's essentially this idea that Facebook moves from just being social media to more of a social utility. I think one of the ways we've sort of addressed that is by saying, hey, if all these companies are trying to become a little bit more like WeChat, right, build in true daily functionality to living, whether it's getting a ride, ordering food, even having banking services, I think one of our theses at this point of why that's probably not as much of a driver is that we are so well banked in the U.S. and Europe, whereas other other parts of the world not as well banked. People are marrying those basic sort of financial services with the smartphone for the first time. And that's the really compelling glue that holds it together. We don't need that as much in the U.S. because our financial services are already established aside from our smartphone relationship. So. Yeah, Brad, as we talk about Facebook and the overall ad market, we'd be remiss to overlook Google. You are uh, bullish on Google, but position Facebook versus Google versus Pinterest and Snap as advertisers evaluate where to be spending this holiday season. Yeah, yeah. So we obviously, again, we we spoke to a a fair number of advertisers ahead of, of initiating coverage a few weeks ago. Um, definitely YouTube is the strongest channel in terms of shared gainer. If you're looking to allocate an incremental dollar of advertising spend, generally speaking, you're probably doing it on YouTube right now. Um, I think Facebook is very much in the wait and see mode to see what happens to performance post IDFA. Um, and then, and then snap and, and for snap in particular, we heard sort of stable trends. The fear there of course is does TikTok come to market next year and potentially hurt pricing? Uh, and then lastly, on Pinterest, which is one where, where we were equal weight versus out, uh, uh, I should say, sector perform as opposed to outperform, um, the monthly active user issue is, is a big one for investors and, and probably holds back the upside opportunity, we think, in the stock longer term. Well, Brad, thanks for joining us ahead of what's going to be a very interesting earnings season for these social names. And just want to point out that Facebook shares are down about one and a third percent and about 75 percent of analysts still have a buy rating on Facebook, John. Yeah, well, you know, it's not down Bitcoin. Uh, A lot of people think that's going to the moon. It's certainly closer than it was the world's most popular cryptocurrency touching 60,000 for the first time since May, a little bit off that now. Uh, And that's on reports the SEC is preparing to approve several Bitcoin ETFs. First ones uh, would launch next week, likely include applications from ProShares and Invesco. The uh, regulators currently reviewing about 40 ETF filings. Uh, Meantime, one of the biggest crypto players is pushing for clearer guidelines, Coinbase, issuing a policy proposal yesterday calling on the federal government to designate a single regulator for digital assets. Carl, Bitcoin's ride has been pretty wild. It was above 60K in April, about 30K three months ago, and now right about 
at 60K again? Yep. Uh, it's been uh, quite a few months here with uh, a lot of regulatory uh, crosswinds. But then again, uh, Julia, a lot of institutional em- em- uh, embraces uh, from the likes of B of A, adding a lot of research coverage. Uh, and clearly this ETF news is giving it the juice it's needed to maybe get to where Tom Lee said it's going to end the year. Yeah, I mean, I think that we're really seeing people come in from all sides into this crypto game. But I think I just want to return to what John said there about the fact that Coinbase is pushing for regulation. And what's notable here is they're specifically pushing not to be regulated by the SEC, but to have a new regulator focused on them to make sure that crypto is not regulated by a bunch of different uh, regulatory arms. And I think that this is a situation where regulation Clear regulation and a sense of what's to come in terms of regulation could really be a game changer uh, for the whole crypto space. More clarity, allowing more people to get in here and more of the institutions to continue to embrace it, Carl. Yeah, uh, certainly that's one of the arguments uh, the likes of Mark Cuban has been, is that you got to give it uh, a long leash given its power to change uh, the world of money. Meantime, who's best positioned to win the metaverse or gaming for that matter? The CEO of Roblox is coming up after the break. Stock's up 70% since the IPO as the Dow's come off the intraday morning highs. Stay with us. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. (laughs) That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. (laughs) I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Gut check on GitLab. We talked to the CEO yesterday. Reversing direction this morning after a 30% pop in its first day of trade yesterday. That stock is currently down just over 5%. And now Roblox bringing users deeper into the metaverse. At its annual developer conference, the company unveiled new features, including layered clothing that fit avatars in more natural ways, spatial voice, boosting avatar sound if they're standing closer to you in the game, and more robust age verification to protect younger users. Joining us now to break down the future of the company and what makes up a metaverse is Roblox CEO Dave Bazuki. Dave, good to have you. First, give us uh, an economic sense of your developer community, if you will. How does it break down? What's the the top uh, kind of cohort of money-making developers and and how much uh, of revenue are they contributing? Hey, yeah, so thanks for having us on the show from the whole community. We have over 750 of what are arguably the most creative and talented game creators gathered here and in the metaverse together. We, the, the economy of Roblox is moving to over half a billion a year. Our top creators on the platform are making north of $50 million a year. And with the introduction of some expansions of our economy, 
Even developers developing the number 1,000th most popular experience are getting to the point where they can make a living on our platform. So how much of your strategy is about opening up uh, opportunities for the small and medium creators uh, versus also just building the popularity of those large ones? In small and medium, how do you do that? What, what are the types of engagements and game mechanics that are going to help not only better their prospects, but enhance the gameplay? Yeah, we've introduced a thing that we call premium payouts or engagement-based payouts. And what it means is for those early developers who are in creative mode, maybe experimenting with Roblox and just making something fun, they're starting to see earnings show up out of the blue for the time that people spend in their creations. The result of this is an incredibly long pipeline, a very deep pipeline of up-and-coming creators on the platform. It makes a very powerful community of future game creators who might be forming studios. Dave, very interesting things here, and I see the appeal of Roblox really with a younger generation of players, including my own kids. And I'm wondering, as you roll out the age verification, tell us how important you think that is as we see Facebook and Instagram scrutinize it for their impact on, on teens as well as kids. And also China cracked down on how much time people are allowed to play video games. I should say kids are allowed to play video games in China. How much of a risk is all of that for your business? Yeah, we, we have a very optimistic view of building a civilized society on our platform. And, and our roots for the last 15 years have been putting safety and civility as the, as the primary thing we focus on. So as People on Roblox get older, we're looking at ways of maintaining that civility while allowing them to do things like voice chat. So you can see things like 13 plus age verification as a safe and civil way to make that possible. We're introducing experience guidelines at our conference today so that some experiences that are only suitable for 13 and up will be available on the platform. But really safety and civility has been our number one priority since we started. Yeah, and it seems like the age verification will be a key part of that. Um, as we talk about the metaverse, and I, I think it's really important to say that Roblox is not just a game company, right? It's a, it's a creative company. It's a place where people go to interact uh, and have those social, social interactions. But it also seems increasingly it's a place where people are going to go to consume entertainment. Where do you see Roblox going in the future beyond just the immediate gameplay? Yeah, it's really exciting because when people come together on Roblox, they do things together. They go to a birthday party. They, of course, play together. They maybe graduate from high school together if they couldn't in the midst of COVID. And when it comes to entertainment, there's something very special about going to a concert with friends and um, dancing together, deciding where you're going to stand, interacting with the crowd. It's something that you can pick up in an immersive 3D space. So we're super optimistic about some of the concerts we've done with Little Nas X or 21 Pilots, where um, millions of people have literally come to these concerts. And we're optimistic for artists that this is the third way that they can uh, essentially participate in the economy. So we think it's really big and exciting. How much of that, Dave, is COVID-influenced, though? I mean, we're still not anywhere near out of the woods yet. Have you gotten a taste maybe in that period in early summer where we thought we were coming out of the woods of what um, the effects on your business and digital engagement 
are going to be? And are you preparing for uh, how to either mitigate or lean into that heading forward? Yeah, so we're always reaching out to our community and we all want COVID to be over as soon as possible. And we reach out to those people in the midst of COVID who've had issues. Um, what we have seen is that our users and the growth we've seen in COVID is very sticky. In the midst of COVID, when people couldn't go outside or do things, we did see acceleration in the hours per month. But the, the core understanding of what Roblox is and a place to come together to do things together, that's been very sticky. And, and I think a lot of families, a lot of people have learned about what platforms like this can do to, to bring people together when they can't be together in person. Dave, I, I'd love you to comment on sort of these episodes of uh, leveraging IP out of uh, different creators. In, in this case, it's Squid Game. I saw a note earlier in the week, a record nearly one million viewers on Twitch uh, as some of these tournaments are, are proliferating around the world. Is this a game changer or is it just one more step in sort of the series of IP episodes we've seen in the past year? Yeah, so this is really interesting. It shows the responsiveness of platforms like Roblox, where a lot of creators, fans can get interested in some IP. And we treat IP very, very respectfully. Um, we follow DMCA takedowns and all of those kind of things. But many, many brands want their IP on Roblox, uh, whether it's Gucci or Vans or other brands like that, because it magnifies and reflects their brand. So in the case of Squid Game, uh, it's, it's really been quite exciting to see how responsive our community has been to that. Huh. Well, that, that certainly is a, a collision of, uh, I guess, age groups, Squid Game and the kid. But, you know, it's, it's virtual, <laughs> so you can figure it out. Yep. Uh, Dave Bazuki, CEO of Roblox. Thank you. Thank you. After the break, uh, supply chain troubles causing some companies to invest in themselves. What names are best positioned for recovery? And then keep your eye on Virgin Galactic today, uh, down 15% after delaying the launch of commercial space services to the end of 2022. More Tech Check in a minute. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds. Thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magirite is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva. Welcome back to Tech Check. Take a look at some of the top performers on the NDX this morning. A nice mix of some travel names, some consumer names. You got Marriott, Amazon, and of course, uh, names that continue to relate to transports. Their CSX up 2% as well. What names are having the biggest impact on this week's rally? We'll talk about that in a moment after a news update with Rahel Solomon. Hi, Rahel. Hi, Carl. Good morning. And here's what's happening at this hour. Shares of Goldman Sachs popping 2% on strong quarterly results led by investment banking, where revenues have surged nearly 90% since last year. Goldman shares are now up more than 50% this year. PNC Bank tumbling as much as 3.5%. Adjusted earnings were well ahead of estimates, but there are concerns about higher costs and unsustainable fee income. Retail sales posting a surprise jump in September. That's despite higher prices and continued shortages. Excluding autos, the gains were even higher, and they were broad-based, with sales at brick and mortar growing even faster than online purchases. And trucking company J.B. Hunt benefiting from surging demand for shipping. That stock up about 8% to a new all-time high on strong quarterly results. Earnings topped estimates. That's despite higher labor costs and margins that were well below forecasts.
You're now up to date. John, I'll send it back to you. Thanks, Rahel. It has been a tough few weeks for tech stocks, but we are ending the week firmly in the green. Josh Lipton's looking at some of the names powering this rally. Josh? So, John, let's start with some of those big-name tech movers. Facebook is certainly one to watch here on pace for its fifth straight weekly decline, 15% now off its high, year-to-date up about 20%. Amazon is going to post a weekly gain here, its best week since the first week of September, still about 10% off its high. Chips, worth a look as well. The SMH, the ETF that tracks the semis, its best week since late August. We saw Taiwan Semi report and beat Q3 expectations. It's going to snap a 5 week losing streak here. Matt Bryson at Wedbush says he sees that report as a positive read-through for TSMC customers like AMD, best week for AMD since July, by the way. And he says foundry peers like UMC. Meanwhile, Goldman upgrading Broadcom to buy, scale, pricing power, and strong execution, they say, best week for Broadcom since August. But they do downgrade Western Digital to neutral on cyclical headwinds in NAN, they argue. Carl, back to you. All right, Josh. Thanks so much, uh, Josh Lipton. We have been tracking the supply chain crunch, especially hitting Apple this week after a report Tuesday showed the company might cut its iPhone 13 production target by up to 10 million units. Uh, Investors also focused on Amazon and how the supply crunch might impact their most important quarter. Here to discuss supply chain winners and losers, Margins Editor Rajan Roy. Uh, Rajan, you got some interesting uh, ideas right now about what it means to be vertically integrated and how much you can really count on your third parties. Yeah, I mean, when we're talking about a supply chain disruption, Apple and a company run by Tim Cook, clearly you don't want to bet against. But that number that cut around 10 million, first, let's look at it in context. Last year, Apple produced 75 million units of the iPhone 12. Even with this 10 million cut that's being reported, they would still produce 80 million units of the new iPhone 13. So we're still seeing a year-on-year increase for what's essentially an incremental upgrade of a phone. But even more important, what we have to look at is we all know that Monday there's the big event where they're going to be releasing a new line of MacBooks. And I'm very hopeful that they stick with the USB-C charger and don't go back to the MagSafe because I bought like 10 different dongles. But last year's (laughs) event, we have to look at they introduced the M1 chip. They moved away from production from Intel that they'd stuck with since 2006 and introduced their own chip into the new MacBooks and eventually the iPad Pro. And this is Tim Cook's strategy of being aggressive on vertical integration, of slowly taking more and more control over the supply chain. Yes, these are outsourced to Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, but it's a highly exclusive deal. They have leverage over their suppliers. And this is where I think investors really need to look at which companies have shown this ability to vertically integrate their supply chains. Because in an era of supply chain disruption, it's those companies that are going to be able to weather these storms better than others. It's the ones that own, whether it's their manufacturing, their operations, their logistics, their relationships with their customers, they're going to definitely fare better than the companies that have outsourced everything. I was going to say, who, what kinds of names would you actually worry about uh, companies that have, who have outsourced uh, to a degree where they said, look, this is super efficient. We don't have to worry about this stuff, but now it might be coming back to bite them. Yeah, I, I think it's not, it's not even necessarily a category or sector issue. It is, let's look at two different companies within the same sector. If you take car makers, 
Toyota has traditionally been known as being light years ahead in terms of owned logistics and operations. Even they have weathered the chip shortage better than others because exclusive uh, relationships with suppliers, stockpiling of components. So even though every car manufacturer does appear to be taking a hit, Toyota is certainly better positioned than others. But you see the reaction, though, because Hyundai's chief operating officer just came out and said now they want to start thinking about making their own chips. So, so everyone does recognize the importance of starting to own more of your value chain. And, and I do think any investor within a specific category, always, if you have two companies, who owns more, who controls more, who is more predictable in terms of what they're producing? But it's tough, Ranjan, to understand that uh, because it's not always based on size. And it's not something that often gets talked about on earnings calls. Like, for example, Tesla, in terms of units, is really small, but they've weathered this really well. And my, my guess is just because the way that they build cars and the components that they use, they're a bigger share to smaller suppliers and therefore end up having more leverage. I don't know if you have any insight into that. Yeah, I actually think this is a really unique moment because at first glance, my worry almost is, okay, now Apple, Nike, uh, all these companies that are the giants are going to use this again. The pandemic has already helped the biggest companies grow exponentially, that this would be yet another area that these companies are able to just further entrench themselves and dominate. But I think the Tesla example you gave is a perfect reminder, though Tesla market cap wise is one of the biggest companies in the world. But when you take a smaller manufacturer, it allows the ones that have been built in a more cohesive, really tight way in their supply chain. It, I actually think the companies, the mid-sized companies, the fast-growing companies that own more of their logistics, they're the ones that this is the moment that they're going to really start to see themselves accelerate and grow. And so, Rajan, it sounds like you think this is a moment where the companies that are not already vertically integrated will push further in that direction and may end up looking very different on the other side of this. Yeah, yeah. I think this is a moment where the companies that in the very near term that are going to succeed, I do think the Apples, the Teslas, the ones that have already been moving in this direction. But I do think this is a moment where companies that are pushing forward digital transformation, pushing forward vertical integration, this is the moment that they have to kind of go and meet that. One, one example I actually think is Ford, going back to car makers. They have shown that they've said they're going to invest $11 billion into their Korean battery maker partner. They're going to increase the number of jobs and people working on their electric uh, F-150 in Michigan. They are showing that, again, they understand that this is a moment that even with all the unpredictability, we are never going back to the unfettered, seamless, globalized outsourced supply chains, you know, where you have like, 50 different factories, each manufacturing one component coming together. They understand the supply chains of the future to build their products of the future. This is the moment that they really have to double down and be aggressive, communicate to investors why they're doing this. So even if the near term effects are not great financially, it's clear investors understand where they're going with this. Hey, finally, Rajan, I was going back and forth this morning on when globalization actually sort of topped out. And I found a, a speech by GE's then CEO, Jeff Immelt, where he said, if you put globalization up for a popular vote, I think it would lose 60-40. That was in 2007. That's a long time ago. And I wonder, at what point do you again see companies looking for a little bit of edge on costs where that trend would begin to revert? 
Yeah, but I, I remember reading Globalization and its Discontents, uh, discontents by Stiglitz like 2002. Uh, people have been talking about this from the beginning since China entered the WTO. But I think it's different now because you have you have all these different factors. You have geopolitics, China versus the U.S., trade frictions. But then within every single country, you have domestic labor changes in the way labor is valued and approached. In the U.S., this is huge. We are seeing it firsthand here that worker shortages, the power of labor increasing will completely change the economics of everything here. But that is happening across countries. So I do think, and maybe it's a bold prediction, that that we will not see the kind of H&M 2007, Apple 2017, just <laughs> perfectly operational supply chain where the world just magically works together. I do think the companies are going to have to completely rethink the way they approach supply chains. Yeah, if that's true, uh, that is a that is a real sea change uh, in the way goods are, are made and distributed. Rajan, great stuff. Good to see you again. Thanks. Now, a troubling story out of Missouri. Tuesday, a reporter with the St. Louis Post-Dispatch alerted the state that Social Security numbers of school teachers and administrators were exposed and vulnerable to hackers due to flaws on a state website. The newspaper agreed to hold off publishing the story while the department fixed the problem. But then Thursday, Missouri Governor Mark, Mike Parson gave a press conference where he called the reporter a hacker and vowed to seek criminal prosecution the minority leader of the Missouri House of Representatives, uh, echoing a lot of people and saying the governor should direct his anger toward the failure of the state government to keep its technology secure and up to date and work to fix the problem, not threaten journalists with prosecution for uncovering these failures. Julia, this is exactly what you're not supposed to do as a company or an organization when someone finds a flaw in your system for free is discouraging others from doing that because the hackers will do it for pay. They'll take your money and your data and, uh, you know, they won't warn you ahead of time. Yeah, this is a very lucky situation where the journalist did a lot of good and it does not seem like the right response from the governor. And as we head to break, let's get a check on cloud stocks. The Wisdom Tree Cloud Computing ETF, a big since Monday, on pace for its second positive week in a row and best week since February. Asana and Bill.com, its top holdings, were back in two. The story that has gained momentum this week, the fallout for Netflix from its controversial news special by Dave Chappelle. Employees have been speaking out publicly, protesting the comedian's comments about trans and other LGBTQ issues. Some took to Twitter voicing their concerns, and three employees were suspended by the company after attempting to join a meeting they were not invited to. Then that suspension was well suspended. Co-CEO Ted Sarandos has written multiple letters of response, one in part saying that Chappelle's specials are some of Netflix's top performing content and, quote, as with our other talent, we work hard to support their creative freedom, even though this means there will always be content on Netflix some people believe is harmful. Perhaps more controversially, he said, quote, content on screen does not directly translate to real world harm. There is an employee virtual walkout planned 
for next Wednesday. It's unclear how many people will be participating in this. But, John, this does raise the question of how a company like Netflix, which is so much about the algorithm and about data, how it still does have to make very human decisions that are going to be controversial because they are subjective. Yeah, you know, I I would argue that uh, Netflix, very much a curated, human-driven company with the decisions it's made about content, what kind of content and strategy to pursue with an assist from the algorithm. But I don't know if you've watched this special. I literally just finished it during the commercial break. I've been watching it before. And I I can see, Carl, why really? people want to cancel Dave Chappelle after that. But I'm surprised more people aren't walking. I mean, black people, Asians, Jewish people, women. And that's just for the first 10 minutes before he even starts in on the trans community. So, I, I mean, I, don't know. I think this is a landmark cultural moment. Uh, platforms, Netflix, others are going to have to figure out the difference between hate and comedy and controversial but thoughtful content that sparks a, a healthy discussion. A lot of it's got to do with context. So before people get, you know, completely on the bandwagon about this special, I reckon watch it with an open mind and see if he's saying anything worthwhile or if you think it's hate. Carl, you yeah. watch it? Uh, it's, it's not just employees. I know Hannah Gadsby, who's had some stand-up specials on Netflix, also pushing back. And we'll see whether or not, uh, John, the company has any kind of data that backs up their stance here. But to the degree that it gets talked about, uh, we might expect some questions uh, when they report earnings on Tuesday. Well, it's, people are going to keep talking about it. I, that's my bet after watching it, for sure. Yeah. Meanwhile. B of A resuming coverage of Micron at neutral. Price target of $76 represents 12% upside from current levels, uh, while they like management execution, near-term inventory headwinds are going to hurt pricing, they say. Stock is down about 10% this year. Tech Check's back after this. We mentioned GitLab's surge yesterday. Overall, IPOs are recovering as well. The Renaissance IPO ETF is up over 6% the last week, but IPOs continue to underperform the broader market year to date. On the other hand, SPACs continue to slide. 92% of the biggest SPACs are trading below their offer price. The CNBC SPAC 50 index has cratered since its peak in February. Meantime, Bitcoin may be having a very good day, but one mortgage lender is turning its back on the digital currency. CNBC tech reporter Mackenzie Sagalos joins us with a great scoop from yesterday. Mackenzie, what happened? So apparently, Carl, home buyers are not all that interested in paying their monthly mortgage in Bitcoin. I spoke to Matt Ishbia, the CEO of United Wholesale Mortgage, and he tells me that the company has decided at this point to ditch its plan to accept cryptocurrencies, in part because there wasn't much customer demand. UWM ran a two-month Bitcoin experiment where they gave borrowers the option to pay their monthly bill in a crypto of their choice. Six homeowners tried it out, making payments in Bitcoin, Ether, and Dogecoin. That is not a lot of people considering the fact that we're talking about the second biggest mortgage lender in the country. Now, the CEO said that borrowers liked having the option and said it was cool, but ultimately there wasn't enough demand to make it worth pursuing given this, like, given all the incremental costs of dealing in crypto as well as the regulatory uncertainty in the space. So, Mackenzie, what happens to the people who did decide to pay their mortgage in crypto? Is that a problem? 
Right. So for the six homeowners who took part in this experiment, some may face a tax bill for the payments that they made in crypto. Because the IRS classifies digital currencies like Bitcoin as property, making a mortgage payment in crypto is considered a taxable event. Because there's always a difference between how much you paid for the cryptocurrency, which is your cost basis, and the market value at the time you spend it. And that difference can trigger income capital gains taxes in addition to all the other taxes you have to pay, such as sales tax. So do you see it? I mean, for those who might want to argue that it shows that Bitcoin is not a reliable source of payments, uh, is there something about mortgages in particular that makes this a one-off? Well, I mean, this is really just the latest example of investors treating cryptocurrencies as an investment rather than a replacement for money. Many crypto owners will buy and hold their virtual coins in hopes that they'll rise in value. And in the last year, that's been a pretty good bet. Bitcoin is worth more than five times as much as it was a year ago, while Ether is up more than 10x. Uh, But Mackenzie, isn't isn't paying your mortgage in Bitcoin one of the dumbest things that you could do uh, just with, with because I'm looking at. So if you had paid your mortgage back in July when it was under, you know, 30,000 for Bitcoin, that's a whole different mortgage payment than if you had paid it like today when it's, it's you paid a lot on your mortgage if you paid for it in Bitcoin back then. Right. Isn't isn't the whole idea supposed to be stability and predictability with mortgage? I mean, it, it just it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Some of the things people are talking about doing with crypto. Right. Right. And I think that that's why you didn't see much customer demand with this two month pilot. And also UWM wasn't holding the crypto that it was accepting. It was immediately converting it to U.S. dollars at the point of transaction. So they weren't even getting like the benefit of of Bitcoin's run up. So this experiment didn't seem to make sense. The company did say that if there's more and like if there's more customer demand in the future, they'd be willing to consider re-adding crypto payments as an option. But yeah, at this point, it doesn't seem to make much sense for for anyone involved. Yeah, it'd be like paying your mortgage on a high interest credit card and not paying it off every month or or something. Mackenzie, thank you. Um, The ARK Fund getting back on track. Meanwhile, rising with the overall markets this week on pace to see its first positive week in the last four. Keep it right here. We're back in two. Let's take a look at shares of Snap here, getting a nice pop this morning up about one and a half percent. A reminder that our A block guest said Snap is the stock the street is most split on heading into Q4. And those earnings, Julia, are out next week. Yeah, we'll be watching those earnings closely next Thursday afternoon. Meantime, is the final day of Hispanic Heritage Month. And so today we are taking a look at media in particular, where the industry has a representation problem. A new study found that from 2007 to 2019, just 3.5 percent of film leads were Hispanic or Latino. And just 5 percent of all speaking roles across the 1,300 films included were Latinx. One more stunning statistic, in 13 years, just three Latina women worked as directors. This all despite the fact that Latinx audiences are a valuable consumer for Hollywood. Latinx people were overrepresented among moviegoers last year, accounting for 29% of tickets sold. That's according to a UCLA study. Now, that lack of representation on camera, as well as in leadership of Latinx-focused companies, raises the question of how much money Hollywood could be leaving on the table by failing to make content 
featuring Latinx audiences? Carl, this is a really important question and one we have examined not just about the Latinx community, but also about other communities that are underrepresented in the leadership and on screen. Everyone goes to the movies and a huge, huge opportunity here to, to start targeting those audiences better. Yeah, uh, although I would say, uh, John, maybe you disagree. I mean, you're beginning to see Hollywood start to make some inroads in some of this underrepresentation across all kinds of uh, all kinds of groups. But you look at some of the most powerful showrunners in the world, it might belie some of the data that Julie just laid out. Uh, yes, but it also seems to me, as you alluded to, there's opportunity for thinking creatively and differently. Look at South Korea punching above its weight. We're just talking about Squid Game. Uh, you know, we could talk about K-pop, BTS. You know, uh, Blackpink uh, go into what they've been able to do with movies as well. Uh, And who saw that coming? What if we tapped into more communities? What other hits might be out there? Well, now we've also got a new digital piece about Latino leaders in tech up on our website. Go to CNBC.com slash tech check for that. Here's a sneak peek. In terms of seeing diversity at all levels, what are we getting right now in business? And what do we still have to do to grow? We are seeing the value in increasing diversity show up in the numbers. We are seeing the reaction from our employees. I'm glad to see progress. I'm glad to see commitments being made. But what I'm looking forward to is for people to remember and to commit to doing so much more. I'm impatient with where we are. I don't think we're anywhere close to where we should be. What we need to get better is we just need to increase the pipeline. We need to give people opportunity early in their careers. I always like to remind people, the United States is named the United With this rally to close out the week, a number of stocks trading at all-time highs, including Salesforce, uh, back to the IPO in uh, 2004, up 32% this year, more than 7,000% if you'd bought that first trade. But a bunch of other good names on the list today, John, including AutoZone, Home Depot, Marriott, Lowe's, paychecks and some others to watch. Yeah. And uh, one more thing before we go. Uh, Apparently, robot cars confused by the suburbs. Some San Francisco residents saying that Waymo cars are reportedly flooding dead ends and cul-de-sacs, apparently confused by the concept of having to turn around, maybe not getting pretty good at three-point turns. Uh, Some say a new car appears every five minutes before going back to where it came from, Carl, which I guess is probably to plug in somewhere. Yep, Uh, and they got more data than anyone, so we're going to see how they manage that. Uh, Buckle up for a busy week of earnings next week. Have a good weekend. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture-proof of delivery, package-less and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.